So we often do this if we're a guest speaker. If this is your first time here, uh, so I say this, if this is your first time here and you're waiting for, to hear the guy that's on the radio, I'm sorry. <laughs> Tomorrow afternoon, right, 4 p.m., you can hear him. Um, no, my name's Eric, and uh, Charlie said Elder Eric. So I need a badge or something. <laughs> Russ asked me to preach. Um, he asked me last week. It's like, oh, because when, when you do say you're going to, you say yes, you've just committed quite a few hours in the next seven days or however long to put something together. And Russ just got done preaching a series on the Sabbath, right? And that was wonderful. So I'm thinking, oh, if I said, if I say no to him, I'm basically saying, Russ, you don't need a break. <laughs> So I said, yes. Um, so I'm going to preach. I'm going to try. I'll read what I wrote on paper. So what do I preach from? Okay. First John. That's one of my favorite books. And matter of fact, the men's group, it's just got done, kind of, going through this book. <laughs> And boy, they know how to milk out a book of the Bible. <laughs> Woo! So I think what they're doing now is like going back. I'm, I go occasionally, and I always love going Wednesday nights when I can. Um, they're going back and kind of hitting the highlights of what they have covered. And I th- almost think it's like, okay, what, what was your favorite? And talk about it. So they're going back. And I'm curious to know... Maybe some of the guys thought the first part of John 3 was their favorite. So we'll see. We'll compare notes now. Um, That's not why I chose it, though. It's just one of my favorite passages. I guess you could say it's one of my life passages. Is 1 John 3, 1 through 3. And it says, what's that look like on this? I don't make slides much, so I'm always curious. I wouldn't want it much smaller than that for you guys. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this family you have given us to uh, share life with, to meet up with um, at least once a week, if not more. We thank you so much for the friendships we've made in this church. And, and I do pray that... Um, All of us here that call this our church family, we have those connections, those those people we can communicate with during the week. And um, Lord, I just pray we also are open to that when somebody here is reaching out to us, that we respond as you would want us to. So Lord, I just pray for the words that we're about to hear this morning, and I pray that they will 
get into the right crevices and places in our hearts um, where they need to speak to us. And I pray that we respond well to what you'd say to us. Thank you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've got three questions for you today. It's a great way to teach scripture, by the way. Um, teach, preach, whatever. If you're going to share the word of God with somebody, it doesn't have to be up here. Um, it's to find a passage that you feel God wants you to share. Okay? And you read the passage like it's the answer to the question you haven't asked yet. I'm all for answer keys. I'm a, I'm a school teacher. I love the answer key. And that, there's not just an answer key, there's also something called the solution key. And that shows you how you got to the answer. And that's important, okay? Because um, if you just don't understand how the, why it's that way, you can go back and look through, and then, oh, okay, I get it. Um, so you, you find a passage, the, the Bible's like the answer key, and you come up to a question you haven't asked yourself yet. So that was... What we're going to do today is, as I'm going to show you some questions. Um, so then you got a sermon, piece of cake. <laughs> Not really. So my first question is, how great is God's love? Answer, I have no idea. Oh, boy, it's going to be a short sermon. <laughs> How great is God's love? I have no idea, but it's big. Let's dig into this a little bit. I remember my mom telling me when I was young, she'd say, I love you this much, as she stretched out her arms. And she'd stretch them this far. And having some spatial intelligence, I was born with it, right? Some of us do. Some of you folks have no spatial intelligence. <laughs> I rarely get lost. The thing is, people, the GPS now, say, oh, thank God for GPS. I don't like GPS because I think it was Joe Blakey said, it was a profound statement you said about 10 years ago. He said, trouble is with GPS. You know where you're going, but you have no idea where you are. And I was like, wow. Yeah, you said that. Um, anyway, she's got this long reach. I can understand that. That's like, I don't know, 18 inches, 3 feet, 6 feet. How far is that? That's like from the east is to the west. That's infinitesimally long. That's how much my mom loved me and as far as she could think, right? And because what do you do after that? You hug the boy. I remember my wife Barbara singing a song, A Bushel in a Peck. I love you, a bushel and a peck. I'll have to explain to you folks what a peck is if you don't know. <laughs> There's four pecks to a bushel. A bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. A hug around the neck. And then there's a barrel and a heap, which just keeps getting bigger. There's a barrel and a heap, and I'm talking in my sleep about you. She would sing that to our boys. However, even a mom or dad's love for their children does not compare to a love only a heavenly father can give. So this love he has for us is because we are his kids. You tell me, 
who do you love more than your kids? You're like, hmm, I don't think anybody. You would die for your kids, right? That's, that's a no-brainer. However, there's a quick announcement for you married people. This is... Uh, Hold up. I don't love anybody more than my kids. Well, I was raised by a dad who made it clear that his wife still is. That's my mother. She was the person he put first in his life, second to God himself. It wasn't me. I was second rate in my house. I know that this greatly influenced how my wife and I raised our three sons. We tried to convey, we weren't perfect, it was me, tried to convey to my boys that our love for them did not supersede our love for each other. By the way, you married people with children, or maybe you're married and you want to have children. This is important for you to know. So, again, this is an announcement. Uh, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It didn't say you're going to join your kids and be one flesh. You, you and your wife, you and your spouse. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think, I can speak from experience, I think we can take our marriages for granted too much. If you're sitting beside your wife right now, I don't know, do a little communication, maybe even just a little <laughs> pinky to pinky. Uh, oh, I digress. That's a whole number another sermon. Russ, I recommend you do a series on marriage. <laughs> I, I told that to him earlier. He said, I, I've done those. I said, yes, Russ, but we forget. <laughs> but this stuff's all related. So which love is it? Is it a father's love or a love for a spouse that God has for us? Well, it's both. It's in the scripture. This phrase, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, it literally translates, what kind of love is this? It's indescribable. Do you want that kind of love? Do you desire to be part of a community called the church that Christ will return for? He's coming back for this body around the world. Do you want to be part of the bride of Christ? See, there's that husband-wife thing. And do you want to be called a child of God? And if you are, do you really appreciate what that means? So I'm looking out at you this morning. I don't know all your faces. I know a lot of faces. I even know some of your names. But boy, I'm not really good at that. But I can confidently say, such we are. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God. What's it say next? And such we are. And the scripture says we're not just called children of God. We actually are. There is a difference. You are a child of God. So let the scripture clarify. 1 John 1.12 says... But as many as received him, my little 
a little extra in here. Have you received him? I'll talk to you later about that. To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So that last part, even to those who believe in his name, that's, it's, you just have to believe. You, do not, you don't have to be one of those that have seen Christ. Blessed are the ones that have just believed. Right? Matthew Henry commented on this. He said, I would love to be able to write like this. He who calls things that are not makes them to be what they were not. What? <laughs> okay. This won't be as good as what he said, but it basically means we who are not either able or deserving can be made by him into his children if we accept this gift of adoption by faith. I like how he said it better, but I needed to write this out. What does that mean? So this great love God has for us. Billy Graham wrote about experiencing God's love a lot. This is an article that he wrote just a few years ago when he was well into his 90s. And I, so you're going to have to listen. And it's a pretty good chunk. You might think I'm done, but he's going to keep talking. So this is Billy for a few minutes. As I read the Bible, I find love to be the supreme and dominant attribute of God. Because of his holiness, God cannot condone or countenance sin, but he loves the sinner. Because he is just, he cannot excuse sin. But since his love goes hand in hand with his justice, he has made provision to forgive sin through the atonement of his son. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The promises of God's love and forgiveness are as real, as sure, as positive as human words can make them. But just as the total beauty of the ocean cannot be understood until it is seen, God's love cannot be understood until you experience it, until you actually possess it. No one can fully describe the wonders of God's love. Some modern experts in theology have made attempts to rob God of his warmth, his personal affection for mankind, and his sympathy for his creatures. Never question God's great love, for it is as unchangeable as his holiness. Were it not for the love of God, none of us would ever have a chance in the future life but God is love, and his love for us is everlasting. He goes on a little bit more. Who can describe the measure of the love of God? The Bible is a revelation of the fact that God is love. When we preach justice, it is justice tempered with love. When we preach righteousness, it is righteousness founded on love. And then he concludes... This love of God is immeasurable, unmistakable, and unending. It reaches to wherever a person is, but it can be rejected. God will not force himself upon any person against his or her will. You can hear a message about the love of God and say, no, I will not have it. 
And God will let you go on without his love. I said, okay. But if you really want it, you must believe. You must receive the love of God. You must take it. You must be forgiven of your sins. And then Billy's going to hit us in the head hard here. There must be a definite positive act of commitment and surrender to the love of God. Nobody else can do it for you. You can sit all the days of your life under the preaching of the love of God and still die without Christ. Or you can open your heart today and say, yes, I receive Christ. Amen? So you see how Billy Graham's attempted description, even admits I can't really describe it, of God's love. What's it turn into? It turns into an invitation. We'd say, well, that's Billy Graham. Well, no, that should be us. So ask yourself the question, have I received God's love? It's kind of like a checkbox. You guys that like checkboxes, yes, I have. Or you don't check it if you haven't. Have I received God's love? And if you can say a resounding yes, are you speaking of God's love to others? And open to having that conversation turn into an invitation for others to receive this indescribable love. Just a question. Um, So we could sing of his love forever. We actually are going to. Right? Boy, am I ready for that day for, for so many reasons. But I'm getting ahead of myself, like literally. <laughs> so we need to look at that last part of this verse, if only for a moment. You still got that? You know what they say, keep your thumb in the Bible, 1 John 3, 1. It says, for this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. See, because of God's love for us, the world doesn't get it. Now, God loves the world. John 3.16 is a pretty familiar verse. For God so loved the world. And we are to love the world as well. Love the people of this world. There's a lot of parts of this world that I don't think we're supposed to love. We're not supposed to love parts of this world. But you are supposed to love the people. This love we have for God, this love he has given us, for us to truly love the world. There's an article I found in Desiring God just a few years back. It's called, If We Love God Most, We Will Love Others Best. It's a good title. It says, uh, The most loving thing we can do for others is love God more than we love them kind of makes me think back to that marriage thing. For you to love your kids the most, you love your spouse the most, and they'll see that. I know this sounds like preposterous gobbledygook, it says, to an unbelievable unbeliever. How can you love someone best by loving someone else most? But those who have encountered the living Christ understand what I mean. They know the depth of love and breadth of grace that flows out from them towards others when they themselves are filled with the love of God and all he is for them and means to them in Jesus. And they know, hopefully we're part of this they, 
the comparatively shallow and narrow love you will feel towards others when there our affection for God is ebbing. You feel it. There's a reason why Jesus said the greatest commandment is like the first. If we love God with all our heart, we will love our neighbors as ourselves. That word in that scripture, that's Matthew 22, 37-39. He said the second greatest commandment is like the first. Light. It's not like, okay, here's another one. Like separate. That second one, loving your neighbor as yourself, is like loving God. So it functions like faith and works. If we truly have the first, the second naturally follows. If you have true faith, you're gonna, it's going to be active. Okay, so these unbelievers... What are we going to do with them? I don't have an answer. What are we going to do with the unbelievers? You're going to love them. Why? <laughs> well, let's just make sure we are patient with them, kind, gentle. They're not playing the same game as us, right? Why do we act like they, they should know better? Well, maybe they should know better, but we shouldn't have an attitude about it. They know little of the joy that genuine followers of Christ have. I, I sure hope that they see something different in us. Ooh, do they? Are we kind of going camo in the world? I don't even see any Christians around here. That hurts a little bit. But they don't know him. That's what the scripture says. Let's get back to scripture. They are just as we were people of, I'll just say earth. They were like earthlings. Right? Just like we were of earth. Just dirt. Just. But they can only see as far as their own eye can reach. They're easily swayed, lacking a firm foundation. Do you remember being like that? If they're not fooling themselves, they would admit they're not really happy. They'll say, there has to be something more, isn't there? There's got to be something more. So these are truths about people who don't follow Christ. However, it's so easy for us to start getting puffed up. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore. Because I'm a follower of Christ. <laughs> In fact, the only thing we can boast about has nothing to do with what we have done. I don't think we should even boast saying, hey, I decided to follow Jesus. What does this sound like a team of fantasy football what is it you just I pick the better team <laughs> I can't boast about the blessings God has given me because I don't deserve them I can't boast about my love for God because I disappoint him daily <laughs> although I'm trying to do better it says though in Galatians 6:14 
May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're boasting about something that we had nothing to do with. That's what you boast about. That cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So I'm going to change the word. I'm not going to use boastful. I can be confident about his love for me because it never fails. I'm I'm confident. God loves me and I know it. That's confidence. Okay? So please be confident. Don't be boastful except about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So answer to question one. There's three questions, by the way. How great is God's love? Remember my first response? I have no idea. Okay. Well, how about this? We can better understand God's great love here on earth by seeing the evidence of his love in our own life and by sharing his love to the world. You can take it or leave it. You can come up with your own answer, but that's, that's what came up in the brain. Thank you, Lord, for that, I think. Second question. How great will eternity be? Okay. Short answer. We have no idea. Hmm. That's basically what John says in the first part of verse 2. You still there? Right? Beloved, now we are children of God. We just covered that. We just covered that. Did you already forget you were children? Okay. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Oh, great. We don't know because it has not appeared as yet we shall be. Yet we do know some things. Okay? Um, I listed out a few. We'll see Christ. I, we just read that in verse 1. We'll see Christ. Okay, check. Uh, we'll each have responsibilities. In Matthew 25, it talks about the talents, right? And for some, they use their talents. And God said, I will give you more. We'll have things to do. We'll be like the angels. Ah, uh, we will not be angels. Uh, we will be like the angels. Well, that's pretty good. Matthew twenty-two thirty. 30. Uh, we, I put in the church, will be married to God. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Another one. We'll spend eternity getting to worship and know God. And that Psalm 41, 13, that phrase, from everlasting to everlasting. Holy, holy, holy. Right, Lord of God Almighty. That's a long time from everlasting to ever. That's this thing. I love you this much. So that doesn't stop. So this list is endless. God's word speaks to the description of heaven in 54 of the 66 books in the Bible. Jesus mentions heaven about 70 times in the book of Matthew alone. Scriptures about heaven appear from the very first verse in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. To the last chapter found in the book of Revelations. About the great city. Okay, wonderful. However, my question, this question number two is, how great will eternity be? Because this is a great sermon. (laughs) I need to remind you of that. 
I am telling you, we have no idea how great. <laughs> because I'll read in verse 2 again. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. That's key there. We know that when he does appear, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So, if we will be like him, that means we are not like him now. Not even close. Although, we are, we can be, his children now. Okay, so that, that means we're related. How much does an infant know compared to his mom and dad? I think there's times where mom and dad say, I have, I, I'm dumbfounded. I have no idea what this kid is thinking. But truly, you're, you're supposed to know more than the infant does, okay? So I'm going to say the infant doesn't know much. But they know a little. Like, they know how to convey when they're not happy. They know how to convey when they're not hungry. Maybe they need to be changed. Yeah, maybe. They're pretty self-centered, really. Yes? <laughs> That's who and what we are to God at the moment. I'm afraid to tell you folks. Yes, we're growing. We are growing. But in Hebrews 10, 14, it says, For by one sacrifice, which is Christ, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're being made that word sanctification, maybe you've heard. It's basically, we're continuing to grow closer to him. We're being made holy. So we are God's children, yes. I can say it confidently. However, there's times where, thinking of the infant, the infant we don't pass the sniff test. <laughs> yeah, it's time. You do it this time. Aww. Ooh, it's a it's a bad one too. Um, there's times where there's times where we need to be cleaned, like daily. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. Thank you for being patient with me as I grow in you. Thank you for your cleansing power in my life. Clean me up. All right. So, being in this current condition we're in, God has chosen not to fully reveal to his children what eternity is. So I'm trying to answer that question. Oh, there are vast, unimaginable glories that God has in store for us. Heaven, the psalmist said in Psalm 31, how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. 
He's keeping some stuff from us for our own good. A lot of stuff. Paul, he had a short excursion in heaven. A little glimpse. He said that the things he heard were so glorious that it would be like a crime to describe them. That's in 2 Corinthians 12.4. Peter said that we have been born again into a living hope to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that is reserved in heaven. Okay, there is nothing here on earth we can point to and say, that's incorruptible. There's nothing here on earth that we can say, that's undefiled. There's nothing here on earth that we can say, that's never going to fade away. We're deep in it, right? Those things, those things that are undefiled, incorruptible, they're in God's presence. And because he sees us, thank you Lord, through his son, the Christ, we're welcome as well. If it wasn't for that, that's that thing we can boast in, right? <laughs> the, cro- the cross of Christ. Oh, he knows we've got problems. We're not fooling anybody. It's not like Christ is saying, yeah, God, don't, don't see them as they really are. It, it's not that. Because it's a triune God, three in one. He knows we've got problems. But, oh, did we already forget? He loves his kids. So can you think... All right, I'm still on this thing. This, this, I, we can't imagine what heaven's like. Um, can you think of a time when you learned a new skill? Just think of something. Give you five seconds. Yeah, I learned how to do that. Okay, got it. Uh, maybe it's a sport or playing an instrument, learning how to paint, maybe repairing something you had to learn to fix, right? You YouTubed it. That is helpful, right? Um, and you learned it. Ha! You played it well. You fixed it. Congratulations. It took you all morning to change that light bulb, but I did it. (laughs) I'm not judging. And your mom, think of your mom. She's so proud of you. Oh, honey, that's wonderful. She says, you you maybe even made her cry. And all you did is change the light bulb. But moms, you know moms. However, do you also remember when you met somebody who really knew what they were doing at the thing that you just took all morning to figure out? And you said to yourself when you saw them do it, oh, that's how you do it. That guy really knows what he's doing. Oh, I thought I knew. I guess I didn't. And then here's it. Then what's more humbling, oh, this person might ask you, hey, I heard you play. Oh. Somebody told me you know how to do this. I'd love to see you do it. I'd love to see your work. Let me see it. And you're like, um, no, no, you better. Uh, I'm, no, I'm good. Oh, come on. Because <laughs> you just saw how it really is supposed to be done. So God does that in our lives. Remember, he's a father. He loves to see what we're doing with the gifts and talents he has given us. You better not say, no, God, I can't do it. But we do. But remember that hiding of the talents? 
in eternity, we're, supposed, we're going to be continuing to use those. Or is he going to take them away? So he's a father, but he's also a master. He's good at everything. And when it comes to knowing what eternity's like, we're still just working through the, the starter pack. You know, the, the beginner pack, the small little set. We're not get, we're, uh, we haven't even totally unpacked the starter set yet. The starter pack. Oh, here's the manual. Right? It's, the manual is the first thing you take out of the box. Right? Uh, what do a lot of us do with the manual when we take it out of the box? <laughs> Don't need that. It's not that thick. It can't, I, okay, I'm good. Uh, please don't set it aside. Read the manual. And this manual is just for the starter pack, for crying out loud. Imagine when we get to play with the deluxe set. That's the eternity thing. <sighs> that just gives me a taste of eternity. This. Reading what he's got to say for now. If this is just the starter pack manual, how much more will we learn from him in eternity? So, okay, one more shot at it. How great will eternity be? I really don't know. I'm striking out on these questions. But that's what makes it even more exciting to me. We don't know the answer. <laughs> but what we do know is infinitesimally small compared to what will be revealed on the day when eternal life will be made complete, when our bodies are raised from the dead. I like that one and reunited with our spirits. It's referring to what Jesus said in John 6, 40. He said, Jesus said this, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life. He wants that. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. It, it, it says it in the manual. Okay. How are we doing? Whoa. I don't know what that means, but uh, the trick—the trick is when you put together a sermon, it's—it's it's all about what you don't talk about, right? You got to keep pulling stuff out. No, 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 that'll take too long. Sorry, I'll keep going. What great things are we to do in the meantime? Okay, so ah, that one's got to be an easier question, maybe. It is in the book. Although it takes a Christ... Ooh, here we go. God wanted me to tell you this. It takes a Christ-following body of believers to help us with being clear what we are to do on this side of eternity. We need each other for this question. Don't try and figure out what God wants you to do on your own. Like it or not, you need the family. That's us, warts and all. So don't 
what we have it in our covenant of new members. Don't forsake the assembly of God's children. That means be here as much as you can. Okay, so what great things are we to do in the meantime? Um, you just want me to tell you, right? It is easier when you're just told what to do. Yeah, at least for me. I don't have to think. Just tell me what to do. Hold on. Be patient. Um, the small group that I'm a part of meets right across the street the last uh, year or so um, that I've been a part of. We've just finished up a book called Forgotten God by Francis Chan. It's basically about how we too often neglect God's presence called the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not only do we neglect him, we also don't trust God enough to have him use us through the power of his spirit to do great things for him. Okay, but let's say we do. Let's say, yes, Lord, we trust you. Let your kingdom come here. Let heaven rain down on us. I will follow you. I'll meet the needs of the poor and needy. We just sang a bunch of proclamations, didn't we? We sing so many great hymns with so many wonderful phrases like this. And it's good. We should. We should be proclaiming our desire to serve and love God by doing such to others. Right? However, what, what do we do after we do all this proclaiming? Okay, so what do we do after this? See? There's a common reaction that comes after this proclamation of wanting to do God's will in our lives. It's this. I just wish I knew what God's will was for my life. And we, it's a, like a block. It's like, I, well, I don't know, so I'm not going to do it because I don't know what it is. Okay, back to Francis Chan. Sorry, that was all into this. Francis Chan has a chapter in this book called Forget About His Will for Your Life. Hmm, that's interesting. What's this all about? Hold on. So he writes that very few people in history have received their life plan in advance. Abraham, for example. He was just told to pack up his family and possessions and just start walking. He didn't even know where he was going. He didn't know what to put in the GPS. It just was on, you know, waiting, waiting for the car to move. So this is from Chan's book. It's good stuff. I think a lot of us need to forget about God's will for our life. God cares more about our response to his spirit's leading today, in this moment, than about what we intend to do next year. In fact, the decisions we make next year will be profoundly affected by the degree to which we submit to the Spirit right now in today's decisions. It's easy to use the phrase, God's will for my life, as an excuse for inaction or even disobedience. It's much less demanding to think about God's will in your future than to ask him what he wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. Okay, we'll all time ourselves, right? What are you going to do in the next 10 minutes? If you all leave, that'll be awkward, but 
it's, I'll just keep preaching. It's safe to commit to following him someday instead of today. Uh, Francis Chan, this is still Francis Chan. To be honest, I believe part of the desire to know God's will for my life is birthed in fear and paralysis. We're scared to make mistakes. So we fret over figuring out God's will. We wonder what living according to God's will would actually look and feel like and we're scared to find out. Forgetting that God promises multiple times in Scripture that He will never leave us or forsake us. Did we already forget that we're His kids? So let me guide you to answering this question, what great things are we to do? Okay, I'm going to refer to one of my favorite things that I like to share when someone asks me about this church family. Specifically, what, what does one do if you want to be part of this church or a member of Fayette Baptist Church? Not just a member, but a regular attender. Um, and I say, I'm glad you asked. I could spend weeks just talking about all the great things happening in this church and what God's doing. I, I think a lot of us could, right? We should... Not boast, but we should spread the joy about what God's doing in this church to other people. But in a nutshell, this is, what, this is the part that I like. We call them our three active pursuits. And let me just go through them quickly this morning. The first one's intimacy with God. And I would say that's it's your daily quiet time with Him. It's being in the Word. It's praying. And in that praying, it's proclaiming to God who He is. It's adoring Him. It's recognizing who He is and who we are not. It's confessing what we've done this week. It's confessing we need to be cleaned. This is on our prayers. It's thanking Him for all He's done in our lives. This is kind of how we should wire a lot of our prayers. And we should, we should pray for others in our prayer. There's nothing better, there's nothing more effective than having us forget our problems when we start praying to God about other people's. Right? Then when you're done, you're like, wow, I, I, that was good, Lord. Thank you. Um, staying pure. We're still trying to be intimate with God here. Because he knows. Um, Jeff and Haley Colpitz were talking about a, a roommate the other day that Jeff had. Actually, he was also my son Keith's roommate up in Old Town a few years ago. And this was so good. This guy would be walking through the house and they just randomly, no, no. And I think it took him a, a little while to figure out what he was doing. It, it was his thought life. And he was saying no to, to what he needed not to do. He was saying no. He had to do it out loud. And when I heard that, I said, wow, that is pretty effective. So those guys got used to it. In fact, they probably got a blessing out of it. It might have reminded them, yeah, I got to say no too. So I'm asking, telling you, maybe the greatest thing you can do in the meantime between now and eternity in the next 10 minutes or maybe this afternoon, is you need to say no to something 
you haven't been saying no to. And it has nothing to do with, I'm going to get to two other active pursuits. But you're stuck on this. You need to be intimate with God. There might be no greater thing you can do this afternoon than just to say no. That's between you and him. See, that's intimacy. I don't know that world that you have. It's just getting to know your father. So the second one is fellowship with believers. That's us being part of this group. Attending as far as possible its appointed services. That's how we, that's how we have it. Using your gifts to love and serve each other. Okay, so intimacy with God. That's, that's him and me together. And then what do we do? Oh, I need to, I need to show up and be with you people. That's, that's our fellowship and community. And then the third one is influence on the world. Being who Christ wants you to be at work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your bigger community. Be involved in things. Making sure Christ is revealed in your actions. Okay, here's here's something that gets me. I think too many of us are offended when we say, those people are watching us. Yeah, I mean, because we say, man, when you're a Christian, you're putting yourself up there and people are just ready to tear you down. And I'm thinking, why is that a bad thing? It's not pleasant, I suppose. But you remember when I told you earlier that uh, God's asking you, hey, I want to see you do it. Put that light bulb in. You know I can, God's saying, you know I can change the light bulb. I just want to see you do it. I'll help you with it. Um, I think too many Christians see this in a negative light because the world's watching. Why don't you think of it as an opportunity to show how much you love your Heavenly Father? Because you know what? He's watching too. (laughs) That's the only person you should be concerned about pleasing. So come on. When we say, the world's watching. You should say, yeah, the world's watching. Just make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. (laughs) Oh, and one more thing. Um, I'm speaking to you as one of your elders. Don't share our church family problems with people outside this church. Even, uh, Even be careful when you're talking to Friends that you know from other churches. Okay? Um, yeah, okay, the warts thing, we're, none of us are perfect. You don't need to share that with people outside. This is, this is a kitchen table conversation. Just We're going to have a family meeting, right? Well, when you have a family meeting, you don't ask your neighbors to come over and listen. <laughs> and I remember this. We See, Barbara and I both taught... Um, at the school, the high school my boys went to. The poor guys. <laughs> we tried to avoid them as much as possible. Walk down the hall, yeah, I don't see you. I had two of them in class. That was fun, though. I enjoyed it. But they're like, what am I supposed to call you, daddy? That's weird. <laughs> so, but when we were around the kitchen table, they would talk about stuff at school, which I loved. 
And because I'm at that school, so I know exactly what they're talking about. What teacher, what student. And I'll say, you share anything you want. I'm not going to say a thing. I love that you shared it. And they were open to it. And I know there's a lot of things they didn't share. And they say that. We're all kids, right? Around the Thanksgiving table next this fall, even if you're 60-something years old, if your mom's still around, you say stuff and she'll say, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, Mom, that's the reason, because I didn't tell you. <laughs> I thought you were ready this year, so. <laughs> and you know what? She might not have been even ready now, because you're looking over and she is just grimacing. So what's interesting about these three pursuits is you can't be selective. You need to pursue all three. You can't like do the checkbox thing. You can't say, I'm going to pick the... Well, see, how effective do you think you would be ministering to us or the world if you spent no time getting to intimately know your Lord? The answer to that is you wouldn't be effective at all. How about coming to church, never missing even one appointed service, and not ever speaking to your neighbor? Now, I'm not just talking about not speaking to them about churchy stuff, spiritual, eternal things. I'm just talking about you never talk to your neighbor at all. That's not being much different than the world. So, we can go on, right? You you can't, like, pick two, because if you pick two, then the... You're missing out on the third one. There's all these combinations. Do all three. So I'm trying to to tell you. What great things are we to do in the meantime? Okay, well, work on this. Do you want more specifics? Um, You might be disappointed with me. Um, So how many have heard of these active pursuits? Anybody? I hope. I've I've taught some of you. That's good. Uh, I hope you're doing them. Actually, you've all heard them now. Um, If you're looking for God's will in your life, I just think this is a good list you can start on even today, in the next 10 minutes. Okay, if that list is too long, because we live in this age where, you know, I can't memorize those three things. You know, my memory is only like 10 seconds long now. It's like, it's computers, that's what's done it to me. Okay, let me give you something shorter. It's like our church's mission statement. If you've heard this one. To introduce people to God and help them become his committed followers. I'm trying to make this simple for us. I'm not saying it's easy, but why don't you do that? So this last great question I've asked, what great things are we to do in the meantime? Like specific, wonderful things God wants you to do? Three out of three, I don't know the answer to that question. And you don't, and probably won't either. However, whatever these great things are to be, they are totally dependent upon the level of commitment you have in Knowing God more intimately. Okay, I think I, I, I know what that means. Spending time with his, your church family. That's here. 
and influencing those outside Christ's body. Okay? Okay. Uh, these three great questions. How great is God's love? How great will eternity be? How great, what great things are we to do now? Um, I'll just, I'll help out this. I'll change the questions a little bit. How great is God's love? I thought this won't be on the slide. Um, who are you? You should be able to answer that. I told you earlier what. Uh, oh, good. You can answer. That's it. You don't, didn't have to. Uh, how great will eternity be? I said, uh, how about this? Where are you headed? <laughs> You're headed somewhere. You need to be able to answer that. So maybe not that, but where are you headed? And what are your pursuits today? What great things are we to do now? I don't know. But you should know what you're pursuing. How's that? So let us as a church family that proclaims our love for him help each other ask and answer these great questions. Because I think we can, we can work on these. Right? Let's pray. Mm, yes. Jesus, thank you for being here in your spirit. Thank you so that we can pray to the Father in your name. It's like when we're praying to him, which we are now, Lord, it's through Jesus and the cross. Lord, thank you for having all the answers. Thank you for being our master, and thank you for being the master I pray that we as apprentices continue to learn from you every day. I pray that we will follow you around like we're a little child following around their daddy. And it doesn't even matter what you're doing. I just want to be there. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us just to to be in the world with you because you're there. You want us to join you. And you'll never say, when we ask, Lord, can I come with you? You'll never say, no, I'm doing this one on my own. Lord, you'll always say, yeah, hop in. Let's go. Lord, thank you for the, our minds that we can ask these questions. And it's kind of interesting just to ask those questions. We really don't know the answer to. Even the people you had helped write the Bible and pen these words through your power, they didn't know the answer but they know who does. So Lord, I pray that we are confident in knowing who you are better this week. And I pray that we are looking forward to that day when we can be with you in person. Mm. Thank you for the faith that keeps us going between now and then in this journey as Christian. And... Lord, just I pray for the next 10 minutes, the next 10 hours, that we not get hung up on what are we supposed to do, but Lord, we just go. And we pursue. And really, we're pursuing you. Lord, thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.